This is the continuation of the discussion of slaves versus sons. We saw that when God made the covenant with the Jews from Mount Sinai, that this covenant was made between God as party number one and the Jews as party number two. Because God could be counted upon to keep his covenant and the Jews could not, that an indebtedness would be created. The question is, why did God, knowing that, why did he do that? Well, it was always the habit of the enemy of God and man to bring accusations against people. The enemy knows that God intended to have sons. The enemy knew, for example, that God did not choose angels to be his heirs, but instead he chose humans. We've had that discussion in a multi-part series previously. So the enemy knew that God had sworn an oath to himself to make humans his heirs. He didn't quite know how this would happen because God had hidden in himself this plan for endless ages until in the fullness of time Jesus would be born. But the enemy was always looking for how this plan would be brought forth by God in human time. And once he saw a way that God would do it, then he would move to bring an accusation against the people through whom God was doing this, you know, revealing this plan and working this plan so that he could destroy them because it was always and has always been the enemy's plan to destroy the humans who are the subjects of God's plan. If he could bring an accusation against them that would result in God having to annihilate them, then he would be able to successfully thwart God's plan for having sons. By establishing a law and knowing that the law would make slaves out of them, God gave proscripted results for each transgression and elected to treat the nation in one, as one entity and to treat humans as another. So when sin was a national sin, the nation would have to pay for its sins. When the sin was a personal sin, then the person would have to pay for his sins. For example, the nation was under the obligation of observing the Sabbath year. That was the seventh year when they would not work and their land would be idle. By the way, for those who want to go back under the law, there are all kinds of problems with that. For example, do they stay out the seventh year? If under the law the land had to be idle for the seventh year, then the comparable uh, posture would be whatever business you're in would have to remain untended in the seventh year. How do you go from the implications of this in an agrarian society to a business-oriented society? Nobody would stand for that. But, but that's the insincerity of the law keepers. But the point being, when Israel for 490 years 
neglected to keep the law of letting the land lie idle every seventh year, seventy Sabbath years became owed under the law. God then took Israel into Babylonian captivity for seventy years. We know that from the specific writings of Daniel. Daniel said in Daniel 8, According to the word of the Lord spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, I knew that the captivity of Israel would last for 70 years. Where did the number come from? Well, there's 70 Sabbath years in a period of 490 years. And when they had neglected to keep the Sabbath law, the law of the seventh year, for for 490 years they owed 70. Now God had a plan for that. He owed 70. If you were taken into slavery for 70 years, you satisfied the requirement. If there were no such law, then God would have to somehow extract payment from the Jews for the law. And that might have resulted in his casting away the nation of Israel. God has never cast away Israel. And there will come a time when he'll save Israel in the same way everyone else is saved, through the Son of God. Because the intention of God is more than to keep people from going to hell. That's important, of course. But the purpose of God for saving anyone is to conform them to sonship. Because that's what God created the world and created man to accomplish. That he would have sons. All creation is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. Now, so by by establishing this framework of law, there was punishment for infractions without the need to destroy a people. Now the law was clearly righteous. The law was righteous because even though the, the Jews refused to keep the law, the law was not about the righteousness of the Jews. Nor did the law make anybody righteous. The law was about the righteousness of God. Who, although the Jews would violate the law, God would be faithful anyway. God would keep his part of the bargain. And in the fullness of time, God would have his sons. The Jews needed to be made into a nation, so God made them into a nation. They needed to be preserved from their enemies, so God covenanted to preserve them. The Jews needed to be guaranteed their their economy, and God guaranteed their economy. The Jews needed good health like anyone else, and God guaranteed their good health. None of the diseases of Egypt would come upon them. In exchange for which, they would be preserved under the law by keeping the law, so that God would not have to discard them as a nation. Then in the fullness of time, God would bring his son, born under the law, he'd bring him forth uh, at the appointed time. And that's what the scripture said. So let's review this passage of scripture that runs through Galatians, the third chapter. We've we've read part of it before, but I'd like to to go back now and read all of it in in conjunction with this distinction between how the law made you a slave, but God's intention was to make people sons. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life 
just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case that the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to his seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. So, there was a a covenant that God had set up with himself, and now he made Abraham the beneficiary of the covenant, and he did so 430 years before the law at Mount Sinai. My point is, there was an existing covenant of sonship that predated the covenant at Mount Sinai by 430 years. And so, when in the fourth chapter of Galatians, where it speaks of the two covenants, he's speaking about the covenant of sonship that predates the covenant of the law and the covenant of law. These are the two covenants, the two ways in which God has extended himself to human beings. What I mean, verse 17, what I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later, the law being, meaning the, 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 the Torah, uh, or rather the, the, the Mosaic law from Mount Sinai contained in the Torah, there's no question that that's what he's talking about. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God. The word previous means it was established before the fact, 430 years before the fact. For if the inheritance, that law you see, does not do away with the promise. The promise is still standing. And so the question will become, well, what was the purpose of the law? If If the law did not deliver the promise, what was the purpose of the law? And he'll tell us that. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it, is, then it no longer depends on a promise. In other words, if you could, by keeping the law, earn the promise, then it's not a promise. It's your wages. Right? So the law was never given to produce what was otherwise to be produced by a promise. Sonship is by a promise. What did the law do then? What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions. Transgressions means sins. The law was added because of the sinful condition of the Jews. God had a choice. He could have eradicated the Jews or he could have assigned specific punishments for specific infractions. And that's what he did. Therefore the law was a way of God saving the Jews from the law of sin and death. If you sin, you die. The law was added because of transgression. The the fact is that by that time, human beings were routinely sinners and therefore were subject to annihilation because the wages of sin is death. The law was added because of transgression, that is, to specify punishments for infractions, so that if you did certain things, 
certain punishments would follow, but not necessarily death. In that sense, the law made you a slave, but it didn't. It at least saved your life. But that was never the intention of God, either just to save your life or to make you a slave. But the law was added because of transgression until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The seed was the reference to God's promise in in, um, 12th chapter of Genesis when God said to Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The seed would be Christ. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Do you have a conflict between the law and the purposes of God? The law would make you into a slave, but you were supposed to be made into a son. Is there a conflict? Not, not at all. Not if you understand what the law was for. For if a law had been given that could impart life, if you could become a son through the law, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed, so that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. In short, the law preserved your life by specifying what the punishment was for the infraction and did not result in a blanket annihilation of people for infractions under the rule of sin. Now that faith has come, however, we are not under the supervision of the law, because by faith we are born into sonship. This raises a very important question. If people cannot be disciplined by the law when they are the sons of God, how do you discipline them? Does it mean that it's now okay to kill, steal, commit adultery, and so on, as forbidden by the law? The answer is, of course not. But there is an alternative to the law, to the raising of the sons of God. And I'll devote at least one program to that question. The answer is called the Holy Spirit. Simple, isn't it? But we'll get into how the Spirit of God disciplines the character of the sons of God in a way that the law never could. The law cannot make you a better believer. The law robs you of the right of being led by the Spirit because you cannot at the same time walk in the Spirit and keep the law. But again, I am ahead of myself. So because of all of that, you are sons of God, verse 26, you are sons of God not by the law, Your sons of God is a result of promise. The promise is through faith in Christ Jesus for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then the famous verses, neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, because you're all one in Christ. 
because he's the father of your spirit. It's in our spirits that we become the sons of God and not in our flesh. If you belong to Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This promise, you see, existed 430 years before the Jews come out of Egyptian slavery. If you belong to Christ, you have benefited from that promise. The same promise that God made to Abraham when he walked with him under the night stars because God created man to be the sons of God. And therefore, whoever ends up being a son of God is the actual fulfillment of that which God promised to Abraham. So when it refers to, then are you Abraham's seed, he's not saying that you are descended from Abraham in the flesh, but to whoever benefits from this covenant that God made with himself and made Abraham the beneficiary, then that person is part of the promise that God made. And that's the fulfillment of, of what God promised to Abraham. What God promised to Abraham was that sons of God would come through the seed of Abraham, meaning Christ, not the Jews, and not Judaism, and not the Torah, and not the observations. Whoever will lead you back to that has either knowingly or unknowingly bewitched you. Now, you may not have known this before, but now that you know it, you're accountable for it. Let it be understood. If you, have, if you have abandoned your faith in Jesus Christ, and you do so by going back under the law, you cannot say, no, I still believe in Jesus. If you go back to keeping the Mosaic law, you have walked away from your faith in Jesus Christ. You have fallen from grace. You've fallen from the grace of sonship, and you've become a slave. Now, why would you want to support anything that would take your liberty from you and make you a slave? Why would you want to restore the temple in Jerusalem, which is coincident with slavery? Why would you want to be identified with the nation of Israel that has yet to accept Jesus as the Lord? No. Pray for the Jews. But pray for the Arabs also. Do not find yourself from one camp to the other. You are after all the light of the world. and God is bringing the Arabs to himself in this season. If you will be on God's side, then in this season be praying for the Arabs also. Don't let people bewitch you with the prejudice purely in favor of the Jews and against the Arabs. Because they are both the sons of Abraham and they are both subject to redemption. Now, let's go on for a moment. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole house. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Now, this is not saying that when you're, when you're a new believer that you are subject to pastors and teachers and others to raise you up. No, the, the governors and trustees referred to here is the law. Look at it. 
he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Note that word, to redeem those under the law. If you go back under the law now, even though you were never under the law, if you go back under it, you have gone back into a need to be redeemed again. And if you go back in that respect, then you have emptied the cross of its power and you've made Jesus subject to an open shame. The cross has been made of none effect to whoever goes back under the law because you've left your salvation and now you have to be saved all over again because Jesus came to redeem those under the law. If you have left your redemption and gone back under the law, you're needing to be redeemed all over again and you've left the cross and become a slave. To redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sonship. The alternative to being under the law is to having the full rights of sonship. If you have done that, or even flirted with that idea, repent and come back to your first love, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Reject your status as a slave and let your eyes be opened to the fact that they are those who have made you into a slave by their teachings. This is not the gospel. This is another gospel. And I will say, as Paul said here in Galatians, whoever draws you away knowingly, let him be accursed. He said it twice. Now, so you are no longer, here it is, verse 6, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Father, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also heirs, or an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days, Sabbath days, and months, and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed wasted effort on you. Paul is speaking here. There's no way to get around this. I know that there are people teach you the benefits of the law, especially in dietary habits. There are no benefits to the law. The law makes you a slave. Well then, how do you actually discipline a child of God if you don't do it by the law? I will devote an entire program to that consideration. You hear people saying today, I do the things I do to serve God so that 
My household is protected. My finances are protected. My health is protected. That God blesses America. You have people who are saying, I give to Israel and I support Israel so that God will bless me. That's the mentality of a slave. That is someone who does not understand that he is a son. You're still bargaining for God to extend goodness to you. If you're a son, you would have known that you have an inheritance as a son because not only are you a son, you're also an heir. Now this is explosive stuff. So I hope that you will join me as I continue to discuss this. This is critically important to your life and your relationship to God. I'm Sam Solon. God bless you. I'll see you again. Bye-bye.